Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. And welcome to the Spotlight. We are your hosts, the Ambassador Retired Harry Thomas. And I am the Chief Retired Alex Morales. Harry, today we have a great guest with us today. We have Miss Teresa Martinez, the a very true American dream, an entrepreneur, uh, author. She has done so many things there. I mean, we're gonna let her say it. Welcome to the welcome to the show, Teresa. Thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to, to talk to you and see all the things that you're going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> no, very kind. Well, let's jump in. Please, Teresa, tell our audience about yourself. About myself? Oh, I'm, just, uh, I'm just a Cuban girl trying to make it in the United States. I came here when I was only 15 years old, uh, running away from communism. I uh, came with my family, and uh, ever since I got to this country, the doors have been opened. Uh, so we have had a great life, and it has been my mission to give back uh, to my community, to all the people that have been so helpful to my family, and to help every person that I come in contact with that is an immigrant to anybody, really. Uh, it's just, I think that we need to take care of each other and try to do the best we can with our life with one goal, uh, just to make it to the top and do what God plans for us. So, Teresa, who were your role models growing up? My role models? Well, uh, my parents. Uh, <laughs> my father is Dr. Luis Vasquez, and he uh, he's a doctor, and he, he was a, a pediatrician in Cuba. He put himself through school uh, in Cuba, made it. He, he had a very nice practice. He was um, pretty famous as a pediatrician because he could diagnose his patients to the T, and people would come from all over. We had a very nice life. And then communism hit, and we lost everything. And I just saw him uh, struggling. We had to wait for many years to get out of Cuba. So we finally would get the permission to leave. And when we got to this country, we brought just the clothes we had on, in, on and a change of clothes, only one pair of shoes, no money. Mm -hmm. And all we had uh, was... The most important things in life, I believe, we had our faith in God, my parents' education, and just a desire to, to go on living and make it again. So he was never afraid. My mom was never afraid. We were just happy. And he went to school again. He passed all his exams. And in a matter of a few years, he had his practice here in, in Bartow, Florida. And so he's always been my role model. I just, I think that uh, if I follow his footsteps, he's 98 years old today, not today, just last week he turned yeah. 98. And he says to me, you know what? I think I'm going to reopen my practice. Maybe oh, work wow. a couple of days. <laughs> and he was serious. And I said, dad, you not only are you 98 years old, but you really cannot hear. He says, yeah, but you're an interpreter. You can work with me there a couple of hours just to do something. <laughs> That's fantastic. What a, what a person. What a person. Yeah. So, so I'm very proud of him. So let's go back a little bit because you brush over a little bit. You're too humble and, uh, about when you immigrant because I always believe that uh, – the United States story is an immigrant story is how people come in and work hard and they find their opportunity. I, I always tell the United States, is the place where opportunity comes, you know, can you, you please tell, 
can you please tell us about a little bit of your experience about as an immigrant coming to the United States and, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, uh, I don't consider myself an immigrant. I think that Cubans are exiles. We okay. would have never left the island uh, had not been for the political situation that we were going through. Uh, but being an exile, it was easier. It's easier for uh, Cubans. Now, uh, not so much. But back then, you would come and, and the country would take care of you. You could work. You could study. There was no, it was a, a, a clean transition. So all you needed really was uh, that perseverance to, to get ahead and, and to learn. And, and so from the minute that we got here, we, uh, we knew that we had to work hard. And I tell you, I tell you a quick story. I had been here two, two days and my cousin said that he, he was going to take me to the mall. Well, I hadn't seen stores, you know, Cuba. Let me just go back a little bit. Remember, Cuba used to be the third economic power in Latin America back in the 50s. And so for five years of my life, I saw the Cuba that used to be, just like the United States. And then I saw it go down the drain. And I was there till I was 15, like I said. So when my cousin invited me to go to the stores, I had a notion of, oh, wow, I'm going to go to those stores that I used to know. And I got in the car and I said to my father, because I, I used to be a spoiled brat, dad, <laughs> give me some money. <laughs> give, give me some money. I'm going to the stores. And my dad looked at me and he says, I have no money. I cannot give you any money. Well, that was the first time that he would say no to me really like that and it, it shocked me and I got in the car and I was very serious and he knocked in the window on the window and he said listen he took out three dollars I have three dollars in my pocket you can have two of them but please try to bring them back because <laughs> <laughs> that's just for an emergency and this family needs this three dollars So, wow, that was, that was a moment in my life. That changed my life because I knew, oh, boy, we're poor. And even if I was living in communism, I, we had a good life. We had a good life in Cuba. So to, to think, oh, my father says that I only have $3? Oh, my goodness. So I didn't spend the money. I came back and I asked my aunt, what could I do? What could I do to start making money? And she said, what can you do? Maybe you can do my nails. And I started painting. I started doing manicures for a dollar to all her friends. And then I started uh, just taking care of children, doing whatever I could. And my dad said, stop working and try to study. You learn the language. You become a professional. We will struggle, but we need to get ahead. And because the only thing that no one can take away from you is your education. So you just learn. And so I started working though. I never stopped working since I was 15. I, I haven't stopped yet. Uh, I, I, I did manicures, I took care of children, I cleaned whatever I had to do, uh, but I had my own little money so I didn't have to ask for money and went to school and, and just hunkered down. And here I am. <laughs> oh, wow, incredible. Oh, Harry. So, Teresa, did you, how did you evolve from manicurist to educator? Is this something you always wanted to do? <laughs> no, you know what? I always wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. But when we arrived here and I didn't <clears throat> feel like I really knew the language and I, I felt that going to medical school was going to be difficult, uh, I had a teacher in junior high that was also, I should have mentioned that when you asked me about my role model, she became my role model. I just thought that she was the greatest thing because she helped me so much. And I, we will talk about her later. Remind me about her when Absolutely. we talk about my book. Uh, but um, this lady was such an influence um, 
in, in my life that I said, well, my grandmother was a teacher. My aunts were teachers. The men in my family were doctors. The women were teachers. Okay, I'll be a teacher. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, I, I don't regret it because I have really, truly enjoyed being an educator, even though I taught for the public system for 11 years. And then I opened my own institute teaching for companies. So I have been teaching uh, whether it's in the classroom or I have done uh, television, but it's always to inform. I have done radio. It's always to inform the community, to teach the community. Is is something that I think we all are educators. We all teach something in our lifetime. It's just that some of us have that title and, and some don't. <laughs> I always, I always say that knowledge is power, and that's one, one of exactly. the only things that uh, anybody cannot take away, like your dad said very smartly. That's right. You know? uh, talking about uh, educator, you founded the Institute of Spanish Communication. Can you pl please tell us about it? Uh, yes, I always um, wanted to have my own business, and when I was It's another story. When I was teaching at Lakeland High School, I was happily teaching, but I had a call from the Marriott Hotels. And they, this is back in the 80s. And the CEO and some of the administrators were opening at Marbella and they wanted to learn some Spanish. Well, I had the opportunity to go and talk to them. I realized that I needed to charge a little bit more than <laughs> what I was making an hour. And I gave him, a, I gave him an amount. Uh, <laughs> I gave him this amount and they said, okay. And then when my paycheck came, which was at the end of the month, that amount was time five. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> they understood that amount to be per person. And I was very, very happy. And I said, oh, guess what? <laughs> I'm going into business for myself. So I went ahead uh, and opened the institute. I started teaching part-time. And then other companies started um, calling me. And uh, I have been teaching for companies since the 80s. And still, I'm there sometimes. Right now, I'm not teaching because I'm more dedicated to publishing a magazine, but I have taught for many, many years at many different levels. That frightens me. You know, I had to, the, the State Department has a Foreign Service Institute, and I had to study Spanish before my assignment to Peru. And then <laughs> go study Spanish every day in the embassy. So they, when, when the professora comes, I get nervous. I still do. Habla uh, <laughs> español. <laughs> Sí, sí, un poquito de español, pero yo trabajé en Perú eh, como vicecónsul, pero hace 24 años, señora. Entonces, eso me olvidó. Casi muchos de mi, mi, mi castellano. Y ahora mi esposa de, de las Islas Filipinas, eso es difícil. Tagalog y, y castellano. Pero tengo que tratar, tengo que tratar. Look oh, at you, Harry. But I have the New York accent. That doesn't leave me. <laughs> That's okay. Everybody has an accent. I always tell my students, don't worry about your accent. Because if you're from New York, you have an accent. If you're from Alabama, if you're from Florida, we all have accents. The thing is, do we understand each other? If we understand each other, we're doing okay. <laughs> well, my wife has a little bit of a, um, a lisp, so, you know, there's some Spanish in Tagalog, so she sounds to them like a European, even with wrong, incorrect grammar. I go, wait a second, I'm better, I'm better. They love that lisp. <laughs> yes, well... Uh It's just interesting how important learning languages have become, especially here in the United States. Uh, Spanish is a second language of the United States. We have 20 countries, 
But if we count the United States, it's 21 countries that speak Spanish. Mexico being number one, the United States being number two. And uh, so that has been good for business. <laughs> and good for business we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back become our friend on Facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice America tune in to the voice America variety channel on the voice America talk radio network Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. And we're back to the spotlight with Teresa Martinez. And we were talking, Teresa, about languages. And we had a great, great discussion about languages in, uh, in the break. So perhaps we can wrap it out. You know, I was telling you that I believe that um, language brings culture together and understanding. And I think the, the ability to communicate in different languages is important in today's uh, dynamic world. What do you think? Oh, most definitely. And, you know, there is a language that is universal uh, that I practice a lot. Uh, and it's that what you're doing right now, the smile. And the smile is a universal language. So we start there. When we smile to someone, no matter what the language is, we're going to get a positive response. Uh, aside from that, it is so important that you learn at least just a few words to be civil with one another. If you know that you're going to visit a country or you're going to be doing business uh, with a certain person that speaks uh, a certain language well then you should take the time it just means you care uh, it is very very important that we can at least greet each other in different languages that uh, that we can uh, learn it, it, it you know we, the, the mind is so big it doesn't it doesn't occupy too much space and uh, and I wish I here I'm saying this and I myself did not take the time to learn other languages because I am so, I concentrated in, in English and Spanish. And then I just, I, I, I know a little bit of French, a little bit of everything that I need, but not enough to, to say, oh, I'm trilingual, I'm a polyglot, I wish I was. Uh, but if you are young and you have the opportunity to learn languages, this is the time to do it because the, the world now, the, the economy is global. We're no longer a nation we're, we're, that we are just here in the United States. And if you want to do business with us, learn English. No, I, I think that we need to learn Japanese. Uh, I want my grandchildren to start looking into different Chinese is very important. Japanese, uh, learn whatever you can while you can. And where you, the children are young, their mind is like a sponge. We can do it. 
Languages help, culture helps. It's uh, Alex is going to get upset because he knows I can't dance like he can. But in the <laughs> Philippines, the salsa they do is the Cuban salsa and the wheel. That uh -huh. was just too complex for me. I, <laughs> I had to stay, stay in my lane. But the Cuban salsa. Uh, so that's oh, it's a, great, huh? It, it is. It is. The Filipinos love that. Um, but Teresa, let's turn to your book. You're the author of Success in Exile, Five Decades of Cuban Stories. Why did you decide to write this book? Well, I decided to write that book just when I came to this country. Remember the teacher I mentioned? Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, it was a struggle when uh, we arrived here because I was 15 years old. And I had my boyfriend already in Cuba. I had uh, my extended family. We all lived in one block. Mm. Uh, my grandparents lived in each side of my house. My cousins, we were so close together. And then when we left, it was to never come back because I did go back. But at that time, we were told that we were leaving. We were worms. Uh, that's what they call Cubans that left, you know, little warms. And just, you turn your back and then you get over here and things are wonderful. But all of a sudden you say, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to see my grandmother again. Oh, I miss my cousins. Oh, I, I, I'm never going to go to my beach house again. Everything, your, everything that is you, your roots, everything, we were uprooted. And I, I started getting angry. And I told my teacher one day that this is so terrible what's happened to us, to our country, that I think we need to document, all of us need to start documenting what's happening to us. I think I'm going to write a book. And she said, if you do, it will be a success. So there comes the name success in exile. And so I kept that in my mind many years later. Uh, in, in the beginning of uh, 2000, I started doing a TV show where I was the host of Comunidad Viva, which was the only Spanish show here in Polk County, a TV, television show to inform the community. And Carlos Luna, who is a very, very important artist, Cuban artist, who mm -hmm. actually paints against Castro, came to this uh, city, to the museum, and someone said, go interview him. So I grabbed my uh, cameraman and I went and I interviewed him. And I said, how did you dare to paint against Castro? And he said, well, we have to document what's going on in our country. And I said, well, oh, you know, wow. I'm, writing, I'm writing a book. At that time, it was just for my parents. I, I thought of writing a paperback about uh, our story. And he said, oh. This is wonderful. I wanted to pair up with somebody that wanted to write a book. I'm painting. You're writing. And if you really are serious about this and you interview more than one family, interview 25 families, I will give you my story and I will design your book. So I said, okay. <laughs> and, and so I went to work and I started. I had already done a documentary. Mm -hmm about it because I believe that this is true, that we need to, the Jewish document their story, they tell the story, there are many uh, uh, movies about it, documentaries about it, so that people never forget what happened to them. Carlos Luna is half Jewish, and this is what he said to me, he says, we need to do like the Jewish, we need to start writing, telling people what happened in Cuba, and you know, it is very important that we uh, do this. If everybody has a story. But what happened there is so unbelievable that I just this morning I had a, a lady, a, a, a professor that is taking Spanish from me, and she was reading my book, and she said, you know, I am a very educated woman. I have been uh, principals of several schools. I have taught in college. And I thought I knew what was happening in Cuba. But no, 
I don't. I, I, I never knew that this is the Cuban story. And so I said that, well, that was the purpose of my book. I'm glad that you said that to me because that's what I want people to know. Why are we here in the United States? Uh, why did we leave our country? And I did it. And I, when, once I did it in English, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to do it in Spanish too. So if you take my book and you turn it over, one side is in Spanish and one side is in English. And, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, you should. You should. I, I think you, you just, it's, a thought came to my mind that you, and, and I think you mentioned it already when I said, People don't leave their country and leave everything they have because they ha they want to, you know. No, no. And <laughs> uh. I immigrant or exile or, or, or they there's some reasons behind uh, those action. And I think and at the end of the day, they come to for a better place or for to do to to, to be so successful or to report to the community. Most people that leave their country, you know, we, we have to remember that there are those who leave their country to come and terrorize the United States. Uh, so we, we have those. But most people who leave their country is such a huge sacrifice that it has to be to mainly to give a better life to their children, for a better education, for freedom. Uh, the most beautiful world, word in the dictionary, freedom, libertad, is so important that we have uh, the free will to study whatever we want to, to open a business if we want to, to not work if, you know, you can, you can be a, a homeless beggar here <laughs> and have a better life than some of these people in, in the third world countries. Actually, you just say something that res resounded with me because, uh, as Harry, you may know, when we my last post was in Bowie, and if you spoke against the government, you probably disappear. It was against, mm -hmm. and I think as we Americans take for granted the freedom that we have, <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't really yes, recognize, don't really do. recognize that the, oh. the the freedoms that we have in the United States are precious. Yeah. How, how blessed the United States is. And, you know, uh, when I am asked to speak uh, to different, different organizations, I always start with a very weird question. And I tell them, okay, uh, thank you for being here today, but I want to ask you, could you, do you remember what you had for breakfast this morning? Did you drink milk? Was it whole milk? 2%, 1%, fat-free milk, was it almond milk, was it lactose-free milk? <laughs> <laughs> we have so much in Cuba, in my country. The only people that drink milk are those who are under six months of age, and they get six ounces of whatever milk is available. Or if you are ill or over 60 years of age, then you can get some milk. Six ounces. Imagine that. The privilege of going into Publix or any store and having all this. Just just, just uh, that one example. Well, don't go too far. Even with the COVID-19, now we're giving prices and lottery and scholarship for you to get vaccinated. <laughs> so it's only in, this, <laughs> only in America does it happen. It's just like that. Yeah. No, I, I recall when I used to come home first from Peru and then Nigeria, going to the supermarket and just walking around the frozen food section is just you, you just don't see this in other places. Um, but I also remember a friend of mine in Zimbabwe who came here to go to school and to university. And he was so happy and grateful. He says, you know, in Zimbabwe, in Africa, there are no there are no school loans. You know, <laughs> he said, I can't believe every American's not taking it. He is shocked. 
So, um, you know, unfortunately, obviously, no matter where you are, you take a lot of things for granted. And uh, uh, this is one of the things, which is why we are so big on uh, civics uh, being part of courses. So um, our youth who know the Kardashians, <laughs> but may not know today, they may not know Fidel Castro. Exactly. Exactly. No? It is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And, uh, and this is going back to your question, why did you write the book? I wrote the book just for that, because I hope that they would read it. And it's written in two languages because if they don't read it in one language, maybe they will read it in the, in the other. And I hope that it's used in schools and, uh, and, and just tell the story so that they know more than uh, they are dying. Are you going to write a new version with more Cuban exiles? Oh, people ask me that all the time. No, that's so <laughs> much work. I already did my... Listen, Jose Marti, who is the apostle of Cuba, Mm-hmm. And we look up to uh, to Jose Marti. He said that a person needed to do three things before they died. First of all, they needed to plant a tree so that they can contribute to the uh, <laughs> to the atmosphere. They needed to have a child, warn a child, uh, so that, and they needed to write a book. So. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I have two kids. I planted a few trees, and I have written my book. <laughs> and my book is really two books. Well, we look forward to reading it. You know, the national artist of the Philippines is is Luna Juan Luna. So oh. it's a yeah, it was an interesting thing, and he um, he did a lot of art against the Spanish and the Americans during the colonial period <laughs> for, for for independence for independence. Yeah. Uh-huh. For, for independence. So it's uh, quite interesting. Um, I think we're going to go to break now. And when we come back in the third session, we want to hear about Teresa Martinez Day. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. And we're back to the spotlight with Teresa Martinez. Uh, We've been talking about her books and all her experience, but now we just discovered that uh, in Polk County proclaimed the 6th of June as Teresa Martinez Day. Please tell me how those feel. Two days ago, exactly. That is pretty know, well, cool. But that, that was way back in the beginning of 2000. So please tell <laughs> us how it that was came in 2006. 
Uh, that came. That was a shock to me um, because it was. Um, I was, like I said before, I had a TV show in which it had just started. Uh, it it was weird how it started because it was not planned. I just asked the. I was at the county commissioners doing a translation, and I saw they were setting up to have a TV station, and I said, "Well, are you going to have a Spanish?" So, and at that time, we didn't even have that many Hispanics here. And they said, you want to do it? And I said, sure. <laughs> you know, I had some experience because I had traveled uh, through, uh, through Latin America with Miss Universe as a, uh, an interpreter. So I figured that I had been on national television in Mexico and all this Latin American country. I might as well do it in my city. So, uh I was just starting when we had the hurricanes in 2000, uh, 2005, and I took it upon myself to get a microphone and just start informing the Hispanic community, go find shelter, don't do this, do that, in the hurricane. And they would send me all these long translations, and I would do the translations really fast, and I would send it, and I would be on, I was going out in the rain trying to take, to tell people where to find shelter, and they were very appreciative. So the county commissioners gave me, uh, they proclaimed June uh, 7th, uh, Teresa Martinez Day, a proclamation, and then the governor heard about it. Uh, and so they, he gave me the Point of Light Award. Oh, wow. and, <laughs> And I had a free cruise for my family. It was, it was pretty neat. I felt pretty important. I said, wow, you know, here I am in this country. Uh, um, and I have a day name after me. Teresa, that was extremely interesting. Congratulations. We're proud of you. you. But you mentioned one thing that got Alex's attention and my attention. You okay. are the interpreter for Miss Universe. Ah, yes. Uh, <laughs> that's a job that Alex would have loved, but... Uh, <laughs> Go to me. <laughs> hey, my wife might listen. So, what? tell us about that. You know, everything that's happened in my life is just uh, unplanned. Uh, mm-hmm. I was teaching in high school when uh, this young man m- married uh, someone... One of my students married somebody whose mother was in the uh, in the organization, and I had left. I had already started my business, and he called me one day and says, "Hey, now that you left school, I heard that they're looking for somebody just like you at the Miss Universe organization. They need somebody that knows how to deal with the young ladies, and also that is bilingual because they need somebody uh, to be in charge of the Hispanics." And I said, right, Richie, like they're going to call me here in Lakeland <laughs> to do this. And they said, yes. Uh, so long story short, I got, uh, I got the job uh, going to be a supervisor. And when I was there, uh, I asked the question, when these girls go to Spanish countries, do you send someone to represent your organization that can actually represent you in, in their language? Well, I hadn't thought about that. Would you like to do that? And I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it was not that I was the interpreter at the pageant. I was the, the person that um, I was the, their travel manager. So whenever they went to Spanish country, I went with them and I would represent them as universe organization. And if they went on TV, well, then I interpreted for them. Or if they had to talk to it, I was their, their manager, their interpreter, but not in the Miss Universe pageant setting on national television. Hey, don't worry about it because Harris being a, a very humble where he was a, a judge in the Philippines for that. So he can't <laughs> so, so he cannot say, you know, like he's talking about me. It, it was, judge. Hey, it, but it was I didn't. I didn't get to go to the after party with all the contestants. My wife said we had to go home. So, <laughs> so 
But I, we would have done your job for free. Somehow, Alex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I, well, I did it with a, a pleasure, but then it was during uh, uh, when we had the Twin Towers. Oh, 9-11. Yeah, 9-11. And my family didn't want me to travel like that anymore. So that was the end of my my fun. Man, I had a blast. I had a blast traveling and in the company of these young girls that people think that they're just beautiful girls, but they're so smart. Mm-hmm. They're brilliant. And they uh, can talk to just any kid in the street or to the president of these countries. And just very, very, very admirable young ladies. Yes. You know, in the Philippines, there were architects, educators, um, mm-hmm. And of course, there was a big controversy over whether they were, there was a, a plastic surgeon, um, Vicky Bello. And so they, who was Echo Por Bello, was the. Bello. <laughs> <laughs> so that was always an issue, but <laughs> moving on, moving on. You're, you're a motivational speaker, so please tell us about that. Ah, motivation. I speak here and there because mm-hmm. because I like. I'm an educator. You're an educator. Mm-hmm. You know that we like to uh, ensure that people reach their potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to motivate people to be the best they can be, and uh, and especially I, I I usually speak because of my book, mm-hmm. and I tell them this is what we went through. You have the opportunity to live in this country where so many things, so many doors are open for you. All you have to do is go in, go in, uh, take advantage of what God has given you. And don't take it for granted because before you know it, time will go back. And once that train goes by, if you don't hop in that train when it's going by, you lose the opportunity. So that's it. It's just, I, I do that once in a while, uh, whenever I'm asked to. I, I think you just say something that resonated again with me. And this is like, people people are willing to die to come to this country. Mm-hmm. People take uh, the most risk, regardless of what the reason are. And sometimes we don't take advantage of what the country has to offer. That's Imagine. Do you Go know ahead. how many thousands of lives have been lost in the stretch between Florida and the uh, in Cuba? How many people have happened in a man-made float just to come here in little bitty tiny boats? Uh, most of them didn't know how to swim and have been eaten by sharks trying to come and take advantage of the opportunities here, the freedom here. And you see students not going to school, not taking advantage of, of what's the free education that we enjoy in this country. Oh, I, I, that's, that's, that's a subject that is uh, very touchy for me. No, I, 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 I totally understand. Cause uh, I, the funny thing that people will, uh, I always say, like, people come here because they want to do something else for themselves. They don't come here because, you know, and it's amazing sometimes we don't appreciate. And by the way, I have to say, and this is my personal opinion, and I'm not endorsing anything. This country was founded in immigrants. And people people coming out here and working and becoming somewhere else, you know, and, and doing the hard way, wanting to work. But I have to say also that there are there are many people who Americans, North Americans, because we're all Americans, right? Correct. South <laughs> America, Central Correct. America. Okay, but North Americans get upset because uh, you you see those who come here and yes, they want to get ahead and everything, but they don't they don't respect the culture. They don't learn the language. They say, ah, you know, I don't need to learn English, if you come to the United States, please, you have been invited here, sort of, okay? Some people have just forced their way over here, but the doors are open. You're getting, a lot of people are getting free medical, they're getting help, but please, 
learn the language. Please get accustomed to the culture. Fit in because you're not home, really. We're making this our home, but our roots are somewhere else. And we need to integrate and we need to make sure that that we're accepted. And many times people are not accepted because of their attitude. The attitude of, well, you know, uh, I don't need to learn English. Yeah, we do. We do need to <laughs> learn English. <laughs> we're in the United theory. States of America. Yep. Go ahead, Harry. I'd just be happy if they would learn history, you know. <laughs> no, I'm serious. July 4th coming up. Memorial Day just passed. Everybody here needs to know that and what it means. Um, but you are the president and chairwoman of the board of the Hispanic Club of Lakeland Hispanic Festival. What is the Hispanic Club of Lakeland? And tell us about the festival. Uh, Hispanic Club is uh, is uh, it's just a group of Hispanics that got together back in the 80s uh, just to celebrate the culture and have some food and share with just uh, different uh, nationalities that spoke Spanish. And it just grew and, and grew and then decided to start doing a festival where we would take different dishes to the park. And oh, that's cool. It went. Yeah, each family would take a dish. And then the next year, we had a little chingueritos, you know, people would come and (laughs) sell their food. And uh, that was um, 20-some years ago. And 25 years later, about 300, I mean, 30,000 people come to the Hispanic Festival uh, in Lakeland. Yeah, it has become, it's a third uh, Saturday every October from 8 to 12, and we celebrate the Hispanic culture, the, the music, food. It's just a day for the family to be together and uh, celebrate our roots. Where's the location at? Where you have It's in downtown Lakeland. Downtown Lakeland. But people come from all over Florida. It's, it's, it's pretty neat to see. Hey, Alex, we need to compare Hispanic Lechon and Filipino Lechon. Yeah. Oh, they're they're both very good. They are. They're both good. We we can eat it all. We can eat it all. That is, Alex, we got to make a date to go there this year. Yeah, we have to. October 26th. All kinds of food, all kinds of music. October 26th. Look at that. I've been in. Mon Park. Mom Park. I've been in Polk for years. and uh, No, Mom Park. I'm sorry. It used to be in Mom Park, but now it's at Lake Mirror Promenade. started okay. at Mom Park, and now it's at the Lake Mirror Promenade. Well, I will come and eat the lechon and leave the salsa to Alex. Okay. I'm nice with Alex. <laughs> hey, Harry always stay in the box, he call it. You know, he stay in the box. Always, you know. <laughs> no puedo bailar. Imposible. Imposible. Nada es imposible. Todo es posible. Hey, when was uh, two years ago? I we spent New Year's Eve in uh, the um ah I forgot the new Gloria Stefan uh, restaurant out here in uh, Margaritaville. And uh, where is that? In Orlando. Yeah, Margarita Bill and one eight and one eighty two at one sixty. What is it? One ninety two and one ninety two. Margarita Bill, 192, mm-hmm. Bill Gloria uh-huh. Stefan opened a, a a restaurant there, and we spent New Year's Eve at there. And oh, Harry was fun. dancing. And Harry was dancing <laughs> uh, salsa there. Uh, Very slowly, <laughs> but I didn't. You know, the I, year, the, I couldn't. <laughs> but the 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 New Year's Eve before. We didn't tell her we we were in the same suite with Gloria Estefan and her husband when they performed Woo-hoo! in New York. But I was talking to her niece because they had the show the um, um, Gordo in the El Gordo de la Flaca. La Flaca. El Gordo de la Flaca. And I used to watch that, and she couldn't believe that I watched that. So <laughs> that was that was that was my time with, with Gloria. But uh, Alex, you have a last question for Teresa. Yeah, 
Teresa, you're also a proud member of Paul State College District Board of Trustees. What are your duties there? Ah, I have been on the District Board of Trustee of Polk State College for 11 years. Oh, wow. That is a governor-appointed position. Oh. Uh, we are in charge. We have fiduciary responsibility. We are, um, we oversee the president and making sure that uh, she does a wonderful job and she does a wonderful job. But that is my, you know, when I came, uh, uh, I went to college there, Polk State College. Back then it was Polk Junior College. And so sometimes when I, I have been chair for in three different um three different times you know and sometimes i look at myself and i say i can't believe that i am the chair of this the district board of trustee of this college when one day i walked through these doors and i didn't even know english so that lets you know the opportunities that that you can have and where you can go is to me is one of them uh i'm very proud to be part of that board and my main uh, right now I'm focused on one thing to make Polk State College an HSI Hispanic serving institution you have to have 25% Hispanic and maintain it for a few years we are 26% so I have reached my goal so now we're going to to achieve that to be called a Hispanic serving institution and get um, federal help for students that want to get ahead in life. Well, congratulations on that. Well, mm-hmm. Teresa, you've been so kind with your time. We have learned a lot. We thank you. Oh, I thought Harry, a great time. There, uh, Harry, take us out, please. Hey, thank you, Teresa, so much. You are an inspirational story to all. Uh, we look forward to reading your book, Promise I Will. And I look Thank forward you. to eating lechon with you in October and watching Alex right. and Salsa with you. So thank <laughs> you so will. much. You're very welcome. Thank you. And this was the Spotlight with the Ambassador in the Chief. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.